You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to another work week here at CRTV and Westwood One here at the conservative conscience. And there is a lot going on this week. February 8th, at the end of the week, is another budget deadline. Wait for another budget betrayal. Republicans plan on blowing the budget caps for two years. Watch for the Senate to drop their amnesty bill. A lot going on in foreign policy. But for once, I'm actually going to tackle the whole FBI, Hillary email, Russia, Mueller, big, fat scandal. You know, as many of you understand, here at the Conservative Conscience, I've largely stayed away from this issue. I haven't written much about it this past year. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. A lot of that is because our other hosts here, Mark Levin, Dan Bongino, have certainly covered it very much in depth. Uh, You know, I tend to only cover things, and I cover many, many things, uh, where I feel I could add something incisive, something new. Tell me what what I haven't heard. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sit and regurgitate other hosts' talking points. Uh, so that you know, that I, I really felt I had no other insight that people like Andy McCarthy and Mark Levin and Dan Bongino weren't adding to the discussion here. Number two, I'm just really busy. You know, covering the actual issues, it's hard to get into the scandals. Number three, as you well know, I'm not so into s- scandals, especially when there's a criminal investigation, because you know, the facts are the facts. Whatever comes out comes out. It's hard to opine and put yourself out on a limb. Well, nothing happened here. Well, I don't know. Maybe something did. You know, I could opine on a political issue, um, but on a certain happening, it's it's kind of hard to do. So all that mixed together, I really haven't covered it much. But obviously with the memo going out, and, and I meant to really put something out Friday. We, we didn't have any time here to, to get something off the ground before the weekend. Um, but I want to discuss the Nunes memo, not in terms of the memo. We'll get into some of the details here. But... I want to do what we typically do here, which is have a broad, deep discussion about what it means. As you all know, I'm not too into scandals in terms of the ramifications for the individual. To me, it's less important whether Hillary Clinton in her 70s, she's never going to run again, gets locked up, or whether Trump's entire campaign or even Trump himself gets exonerated. That's not the important thing here. The important thing here is that we have a problem with the FBI and the Justice Department in and of itself. So in other words, there's really three scandals here, and they all tie together. But I'm most concerned about the DOJ one. In other words, you have the scandal of the FBI and the DOJ covering up for Hillary Clinton when we know she broke federal law, not just any federal law, but concerning national security. You know, it's funny. The Democrats were terrified of releasing this memo. Oh, it's going to destroy national security. Um, It's going to destroy our uh, ability to share intelligence with people. And meanwhile, whatever you think of the memo, whether you think it's a bombshell or a dud, it certainly has nothing to do with national security concerns. It's, it's, It's bizarre that they tried to prevent it from being released. 
But these very same people have no problem when we already know Hillary Clinton communicated for years as Secretary of State on a, on a private server. While the Russians and Koreans and Chinese were, were hacking into it. So we already know that. And there was a massive cover-up. As we know now, they issued immunity to a number of people while you normally do that in order to get the bigger fish, in this case would have been Hillary Clinton, and they did it when, for, for nothing, knowing that they would close the investigation. They had Cheryl Mills and others who were a subject of the investigation in the room with Hillary Clinton. So that in itself, I mean, you know, whether you think Trump's campaign is guilty of sin or not in the Russian scandal, putting that aside for a minute, this independently, we all understood in 2016, made no sense. Comey gets up there and indicts her and then, I mean, verbally indicts her and then doesn't indict her. So that was the scandal. Then you have the alleged scandal of Trump and Russia that allegedly the campaign engaged in, you know, communications with the Russians to help interfere with the elections. That's And that after a year of a Mueller investigation, there is no solid evidence of that. Whereas with Hillary, after no investigation, no independent counsel, special counsel, um, th th it's, it's pl plain as day. We know what happened. And then there's the scandal, the glue that holds it all together. The very same players within the FBI and DOJ who were involved with covering up for Hillary Clinton or the same people brought on board to investigate Trump and the Russia scandal. So that's kind of how this all comes together. But my point here is, I don't care if Hillary ever goes to jail or Trump is exonerated. I mean, you know, it matters, but I'm saying as a matter of whether our republic could survive, our republic is much bigger than Hillary or Trump. Our republic cannot survive when we have the highest levels of the FBI and DOJ that do not Follow the law. And that is the problem here. That is, I don't want to come to conclusions because like I said, I mean, and many of you by now, you've already heard all the commentary on the memo. It's not so much what the memo concludes. It's the questions it opens up mixed together with what we already know about the cover-up of the Hillary scandal by these very same people. Well, we already know the relationships, how a man like Bruce Orr is associate deputy attorney general and his wife is doing the oppo research for Fusion GPS, passing it on to DOJ. This is insane. That in itself is a problem in the missing text, the known text of them now we know trying to cover up for Hillary. That we know. That begs a special counsel. At this point. Now, I don't believe in special counsels, and ideally we shouldn't need one, but now that we have the runaway Mueller one, which, you know, everyone's too scared to shut it down, so I say, fine, let the Mueller um, investigation go on, but then have a separate one into the broader FBI DOJ scandal and the cover-up of Hillary, and I think we're going to see how the two tie together. So look, Mueller, you do your thing, but let's find the truth in totality. I think that's what's important. But what bothers me is what we already know. You know, with Trump, it's allegations. With Hillary, 
the two other scandals, the Hillary scandal and the FBI scandal, and again, it all ties together, that we already know there is breaking of federal law going on. And by the way, just speaking of another federal law being broken, um, it's being reported by Greg Jarrett of Fox News that on January 10th, this is you know a couple of weeks ago, the deputy AG, Rod Rosenstein, used the power of his office to threaten a subpoena and call, to, to subpoena the calls and texts of the Intel Committee staff to get it to stop its investigation. That is a pure abuse of power, by the way. Pure abuse of power. Um, so, you know, again, I mean, that that is, these are allegations, uh, and, you know, more is going to come out this week. But if that is true, that is a clear violation of federal law. But, you know, who cares? Nobody cares. All they want to talk about is Trump and Russia. Now, like I said from day one, part of why I didn't get involved in this whole thing is because, look, I don't trust Trump himself, his personality. I certainly don't tr- trust all the clowns he had surrounding his campaign with their shady um, dealings. People like Paul Manafort, they're not even conservatives. I'm not going to sit and you know defend these people. So it, you, know, you could be struck by lightning twice, right? The two aren't mutually exclusive. You could have the fact that the FBI is rotten to the core. They violated the law um, using oppo research sitting in government and using oppo research from one party on the other party to request the FISA warrant to listen into Carter Page's uh, conversations. And also, independently, you know, Trump campaign people were dirty with Russia. Now, whether they broke federal law or not is a different story. Now, look, but... You know, right away, I'll tell you, you know, I'm a Russia hawk. I have no desire to defend any of this. And I think to begin with, uh, some of the relationships were too cozy. But that's a political argument. That's not a legal argument. And the Democrats, as we well know, they have worse. But to keep, but, but to remember, I am not about whataboutism. We, we spoke about this many times. Oh, but the Democrats, no, I'm not going to defend Republicans or Republican administration or Republican campaign doing the wrong thing. But what scares me here is people in government breaking the law. And that's, that's what I want to talk about today. That's what I want to talk And by the way, it's, it's uh, 18 U.S.C. 242 is the statute um, that bars any government official from using his office to threaten anyone, including members of Congress, from exercising their protected rights. So that's Rod Rosenstein there. And what I'm seeing here, and I know it's taken me 10 minutes to get to the thesis here, but the thesis of today's show is this. Number one, the progressives in this country have become radical and extreme beyond belief. But okay, that, that's one level. You hold radical and extreme political beliefs. But here's the problem. There's two steps that you're seeing here. And, and again, I want to notice I'm staying away from some of the details and this and that because I think a lot of it's going to come out. We got we to see the, um, you know, the, the, the FISA warrant applications. We have to read them. All this stuff is going to come out. It should come out. It's stupid to argue over things that are going to come out, whether there was more to this than just the oppo papers or, or not, whether there was more legitimacy to the request for a FISA warrant. We'll see that. 
But what we already know is, is this. Number one, they're extreme. Number two, the ends justify the means. And this is what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to write an essay on this as well this week. That there's one thing to hold extreme views. There's another thing to be willing to break any law in order to implement your worldview. And then number three, there's the third level that you want, not only do you want to break federal law in order to implement your radical extreme ideology, but that you are now creating a new constitutional system where all of your people that break the the laws and the constitution in order to enact your extreme agenda are walled off from the people, from the electoral process, that they're all untouchable, that there's a constitutional, a new constitutional amendment that places them in office, and then that the political branches that are subject to the people are denuded of all power. Notice what's going on here. And I'm going to tie this into our broader thesis about the courts. There's a degree of civil disobedience that you're seeing from these career bureaucrats in the fourth branch of government, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, there is no fourth branch, but in the agencies and the executive branch, and in the courts where they believe, and you're, look, if you're a judge, if you're a bureaucrat, you're allowed to have your personal opinions. You, what you're not allowed to do is break law to act upon them and break the law. And that's what we're seeing judges and the bureaucrats doing. And then what we're seeing, this very same progressives are now saying that the president and Congress, Article 1 and Article 2, have no power. The president, they're literally saying they're, they're threatening to riot if he fires Rod Rosenstein. Rod Rosenstein is his own deputy attorney general. It's like saying he can't fire Rick Perry, Scott Pruitt, or whoever else. These are cabinet members. Of course he, he could fire them. It's insane. I mean, for, for years they were telling us there's career bureaucrats that aren't confirmed by the Senate or appointed by the president that you can't fire. That's unconstitutional. Now they're actually extending that to the president's own hires. And then, as a second half, they're saying, Congress, shut up. Now look, I'm no defender of Devin Nunes, the, House, the, the chairman of the House Select Committee on Intel. He's actually a big rhino, big open borders guy. I never liked him for a number of reasons. But what he's doing on this scandal is he's engaging in oversight of the FBI and DOJ when prima facie, irrespective of what you think about Trump and Russia and Mueller and Hillary, just we see impropriety and major red flags there that at, at the very least warrant a very serious investigation. You might not want to prosecute them yet in the court of public opinion, but it really begs in a formal investigation. That's what Congress is there. That's Article One powers. And they're saying it's amazing. You have this fourth branch of government shutting down the president and Congress. That's what bothers me. I don't care who controls Congress, who the president is. It's not about Trump. It's not about Nunes. It's not about Hillary. It's about our system of government. That's what scares me. That they are willing to do anything. And then they're saying it's walled off. So let's go through these two levels. The fact that they're willing to do anything and then the fact that they want those people who are willing to do anything, including break the law to achieve their ends, are walled off from the electoral process. You know, an interesting thing happened on Friday, the same day this memo was released. And 
you're only going to hear this juxtaposition here. It's kind of my quirky juxtapositions, but I think it's very important to draw the lesson from here. There's a man named Randall Margraves. This guy had three daughters who, I guess, went through the U.S. gymnastics team program for young girls that that were trying to go into the pro-level gymnastics, the highest level, and they were all molested by Larry Nasser, the now infamous team doctor who was just you know sentenced to whatever 150 years in prison for molesting who knows how many hundreds of girls over the years. So you can imagine a father who had three girls molested by Larry Nasser. On Friday, all over social media, you had this viral video of Randall Margraves speaking out in court. And then suddenly, you know, he asked the judge, hey, you know, I want, I want five minutes. I really want five minutes with this demon, but I'll take one minute. And the judge says, look, you know, we, we don't do that in our system. And then he went and lunged and he jumped over the, you know, half wall they had there in an attempt to attack Larry Nasser. And immediately the bailiffs, the cops that were there, there are three of them, I guess, you know, obviously you had more security than a typical trial. They, one grabbed him from the back of the neck and tackled him and restored order. The other two, you know, jumped on him as well. And, and later on, you know, Randall Margraves apologized. This is a case where I think all of us, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whoever you are, sympathize with Randall Margraves. Like, you know, a lot of us had this thought, man, you know, did these guys have to eat their Wheaties that morning? Did they have to be that on the ball? Couldn't they have waited an extra 10 seconds and allowed, uh, or, you know, Randall just to jump on this guy and pummel him? And, you know, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, this is one of those cases where everyone agrees in the morality of the issue that this guy is the most immoral guy imaginable and someone like Randall had a legitimate grievance that we would have loved to see him just beat him up. And none of us would have been sad had he gotten there and had the um, cops not been on the ball and he landed a couple of punches or whatever on him. I'm sure the cops in that room felt the same way. I'm sure they felt, I'm sure they had the same morality as all of us and would have rather the outcome, just in terms of their beliefs and their morality, would have rathered would have rather this guy have gotten to Larry Nasser and pummeled him. But nonetheless, without thinking twice, they did their job. Because at the end of the day, we have the rule of law in this country. At the end of the day, we have a process and we, we, we don't have vigilantism. We don't beat people up, even if they deserve it. Um, we go through the rule of law. The ends don't justify the means. Now, I'm not saying on an individual level, there aren't cases where it's appropriate. Heck, I agree with Randall, and I think many of us would have done the same thing. I have no, you know, I, I understand him. But if you are charged with administering the law, you cannot make exceptions, right? You have to follow the law. And I think everyone agrees in the outcome here that on the one hand, they would have loved for him to do it. But on the other hand, we're all happy that the cops stopped him. That's how our system is. Right there is the breakdown in our political system for progressives. See, for progressives, the ends justify any means. That's what we're seeing.
If I believe as a matter of policy or politics, this must must be this way, then legally it must be that way and I'll make it that way and I'm going to do everything I can to achieve that outcome, even if I have to break the law, break the constitution, break history, break natural law, all historic norms, we are going to do whatever it takes. And that, that therein lies the problem. You had a bunch of people in the Justice Department, no different than the career bureaucrats in the State Department, all these bureaucracies, they're flaming leftists, they're extremists. And to them, the election of Donald Trump was an anathema. I mean, just, oh my gosh, this guy cannot be elected. I, I understand that. The same way many of us felt about Barack Obama, we were just revolted by the notion that this man could become president. They felt that same way, and that's fine. Just like the cops, I'm sure, like all of us, felt that Larry Nassar should get his face you know, bashed in. But nonetheless, you got to call a foul. you got to follow the law. And that's where things run amok. You know, we understand their private lives, they're snickering, and they're sending emails, and I have no problem about that, that there are a bunch of liberals in their private lives. But the fact that they would spy on an individual and on a campaign based on information passed them by the other political party, like a banana republic, and the guy who was one of the gatekeepers at the Justice Department, associate deputy attorney general, this Bruce Orr guy, his wife was the one producing this oppo information. And use that in a FISA application without full disclosure. And I'm not going just based on the memo. It's on the text, the missing text and the text we know. That they felt they cannot, two things. A, they had to go after Trump. And B, Hillary was too big to fail. They could not have, in the middle of this election... Um, they could not have her be indicted. It just couldn't happen. And therein lies the problem. Folks, I don't want to focus only on this. This is what we're seeing on immigration. They believe immigration law is immoral. They don't like it. They believe deportations of any sort are immoral. Okay, they're entitled to that opinion. But the, the difference between progressives and what we do is they are willing to do whatever it takes to achieve their political outcome. So let's just say, we're not doing this. We're going to go and thwart the law, bring illegal aliens to the State of the Union address, bring them to the Capitol. And, and, and we're, we're going to thwart deportations. And then that's how you get judges that just say, I mean, we, we talked about this last week. Court, judges saying, we don't talk about non-compassionate arguments in my courtroom. Literally, that's what they said. This Garafas guy, Nicholas Garafas, in a New York District Court. DOJ attorneys have no right to not exhibit compassion in my court. Like, what? Well, I, I, look, you could believe in what you want, but the law is the law. I mean, we have sovereignty, we have a nation, we have long-standing immigration laws. Pursuant to law, they have to be deported. I mean, you know... We, if, if you want to run for office, run for office. And th this guy said, Jeff Sessions is asserting that I'm not allowed to have opinions. He's wrong. Well, you're allowed to have opinions. You can't act upon them. 
I could have the opinion that I want Larry Nasser's brains to be beaten to death, but I can't actually do it. I could have the opinion that I want Donald Trump to be stopped at all costs, and I want Hillary Clinton to be exonerated at all costs, but I can't break the law to do so. That is the firewall that the left has has broken through. You know, if anything, if anything, we as conservatives have more of a reason to engage in civil disobedience. This is our law, our history, our tradition, our constitution. We're the ones who are right in our interpretation. Yet over the last hundred or so years, the left has gradually supplanted our constitutional system. We should be able to just seize power to go back the other way. But nonetheless... We are choosing constitutional legal means and processes to do the right thing. They're doing illegal things to do the wrong thing. You know, Mark Levin is, um, you know, many others, they're supporting this Article 5 convention. Very tediously trying to work state by state to get 33 state legislatures just to convene a convention and 37 or 38 Um, states to ratify an amendment to actually do what we want we so badly believe in the morality of term limits but are we just gonna declare it or or even just to pass a law is lawless because you you know you can't do it statutorily it violates the constitution you have to amend the constitution we go through the proper means even when we know we're right Even even though, again, we're actually not, a lot of times we're not even doing new things. I mean, term limits would be new, but some of the other things we want to do is just merely restoring the original intent of the Constitution. We should get that for free. You know, like I, I tell everyone with the courts, you know, we should just completely ignore them across the board. But at least I'm saying, look, let's just use Article 3, Section 2, statutorily, the regulations and exceptions clause of the Constitution for Congress to pass Bills making exceptions and regulations to the court's jurisdiction. But the left, this is what has changed with the rise of the alt-left. The ends justify the means at all costs. And that's what's so scary. But that's just the first level. That's just the first level. It's bad enough to have people in elected positions that share that that sort of ideology, not just the extreme ideology, but the fact that you're willing to break laws to implement your ideology, break the Constitution. The problem is they're going the next step and saying, we're going to get our progressives in government to break the law, but here's the deal. We're going to make the unelected judges give Article 3 the powers of Article 1 and 2, so have everything done by the courts, Oh, and by the way, there's a fourth branch of government called autonomous um, agencies and departments that they could do whatever they want, that are outside of the electoral process. And, And that's what they're doing. They're engaging in civil disobedience. I don't believe in immigration laws. So you know what? We're just going to get rid of it through the courts. What? How do you, how do you do that? Well, it's a brilliant idea because the court judges aren't elected. And now they thought of another brilliant idea. You know, I'm, I'm seeing throughout the news, the news of the weekend, the left is saying now that they will go ahead and, and, and just cause riots if Trump um, dismisses Rod Rosenstein. 
deputy attorney general. So again, it used to be it was the career bureaucrats. They said you can't fire them, which was unconstitutional. Now they're saying even Trump's own appointees. And then at the same time, they're saying, how dare Congress get involved? How dare they get involved? I mean, you could agree or disagree with the Republican Oversight Committee chairman and staff, but they have a right to investigate. The brilliant ploy of the left is that they're now saying that there's a fourth branch of government. It's inoculated from the president's ability to hire and fire. It's shielded from Article 1 oversight. And certainly it's out of reach from the electorate. Folks, this is the tyranny we have. This is the breakdown of a republic. This is, this is the real scandal that bothers me. I don't even care what happens with Trump and Russia and even what happens with Hillary and the email scandal as an end to itself. But the reason why there needs to be a special counsel to investigate the corruption at DOJ and the FBI is we need to get to the bottom of this autonomous, autonomous fourth branch of government no matter what. It's not just deep state under Trump. This is a broad problem. What is a republic? What is a republic? Madison wrote in Federalist 39, quote, we may define a republic to be, or at least may bestow that name on, a government which derives all its powers directly or indirectly from the great body of the people and is administered by persons holding their offices during pleasure for a limited period or during good behavior. Notice that. Meaning there's always a check from the people. If you're not behaving, it's either a limited period or not behaving. The, the notion that judges or unelected bureaucrats could just do whatever they want is insane. You know, a lot of people are like, well, we live in a republic, not a democracy. That's true. But all that means is that rather than just having, you know, a parliamentarian system, it means you have divided. The executive branch is divided from the legislative branch. It means that you have federalism. You have two layers. You have the states and the federal government with their respective powers. It's divided. But ultimately, it's the people who decide. See, this is what people don't understand when, again, this whole crisis we're talking about here with the FBI and the deep state is the same issue we're having with the courts. The left has created this notion that the courts are the sole and final arbiter of every issue. You know, you have elections, but the elections is just kind of like playtime. The courts get involved, and that's really what, what, when it matters. Yeah, you can pass what laws you matter, but it's got to go to the courts, and the courts decide. And they're the final say, and no matter what a judge says, a district judge could nullify marriage. Marriage is no longer a marriage. A Y chromosome is really an X chromosome. Um, 30 days of early voting is man mandatory now. Whatever they want, they could say, and it's un unquestionably constitutional, and that's it. A lot of people ask me, well, Daniel, well, who is the final arbiter? I mean, what happens? You're saying, well, the executive branch should push back, the legislative branch, but what happens when you disagree? Ultimately, ultimately, it's the people who decide. It's through elections. Elections aren't everything, but ultimately, that's what happens. The people need to decide. If they don't like what the Republican Congress is doing with oversight, they could can them in November. If they don't like what Trump is doing, you know, they got to wait another two years, but they can can it. These people are telling us, you know, I'm just reading here now. This, this is astounding. Amazing. I can't. I can't even believe it. These these former CIA and FBI guys are going on. This guy, CIA counterterrorism official, what's his name? Phil Mudd, 
was on um, CNN over the weekend saying, the FBI people are ticked. And they'll be saying to Trump, you've been around for 13 months. We've been around since 1908. I know how this game is going to be played. We're going to win. What, what is that? Again, even if you agree with them on substance, I'm not even getting in. I'm saying this is something that should bother us all for our liberal listeners here as well. It's not even a liberal and conservative issue. It's, forget about Trump. Forget about Russia and Mueller and the email stuff. Maybe we'll get into that. I'm going to try to get Jim Jordan or Mark Meadows on the show to, to get in more of the nitty gritty. I know I've been dealing more broadly with this, but I think this broad vision is what everyone needs to look at. There is no, it, it, we've been there since 19, 1908. I mean, you take that to its logical conclusion. That means, well, any president, you're new. Get out of here. We've been here before you. Who are you to come in and boss us around? Th- that, that's a democratic republic. And this is the same problem we're having with the media. Who are you? I'm um, not the media, the military. Who are you, stupid civilian fool who never served in the military to boss us around? Well, I got news for you. The founders wanted civilian control. We don't have an autonomous military leadership that could just demand that we stay in Afghanistan for 50 years and tell the president to shut up. We no longer have a government by and of for and for the people inherent in a republic. This is insane. This should bother everyone. I would say the same thing under a Democrat administration, although they would never tolerate it for a second. Trump can't. Now, look, you could you can make fun out of Trump for saying, well, you nominated Rosenstein. Why did you pick him? And he shouldn't have. I mean, the guy was a liberal. Forget about the Russia Mueller business. The guy's a liberal on everything. I mean, you know, you want a deputy AG that shares your views on crime, on the Voting Rights Act, on immigration, you name it. Religious liberty. He should have vet these people. But, but again, I mean, that's a political argument against him. It's not a legal argument. He has the right to... The same way he has the right to fire Sessions. He has the right to fire whatever, you know, he has the right to fire Mattis or Tillerson and their undersecretaries, deputy secretaries. This is a very big problem we have, that the left is willing to A, breach the law to achieve their means, and B, establish the breachers in this fourth branch of government and the third branch that, doesn't operate like the third branch. By the way, you know, Article 1, Article 2, Article 3 was very deliberate in that order in terms of its importance. Congress, as Madison says, in a democracy necessarily predominates. The next is the president, and finally is really the judiciary that really has no say in the policy direction, just adjudicates the cases under the law. And, And I just want to go back to that for a minute. I want to go back to the courts. I know it's funny. You know, with me, it always gets back to the courts. But the two tie together, the deep state, this fourth branch administrative state, and the courts, it ties together. When you have judge, judges saying, we're not doing this. This is immoral. This is not who we are. I want you guys to know that is exactly the role of the court. The one important, you know, people think I, I downplay the role of the courts. The courts have a very important role. The one role they have, they refuse to execute. The reason, a lot of people say, you know, Daniel, wasn't it a mistake the fact that the founders didn't put in term limits for judges? But you're you're at step two, you're missing step one. 
you're only assuming judges are supposed to determine marriage and immigration and election law. Like, well, it's really important they should have term limits. They're not supposed to. The reason why the founders made them life tenured is because they wanted them shielded from the people. It's funny. This is the one thing they wanted shielded from the people because they don't decide things for the people. Congress decides it or state legislatures decide it. But once they decide it, then they are the fair arbiter of the letter of the law. Not overruling it. They did, the reason why we have a judiciary is because they didn't want Congress to exercise the judicial power. In other words, IBM and Microsoft get into a dispute under a patent law, under a whatever law, and they come before Congress and Congress decides because they're scared because then you're not going to fairly mete out justice because obviously you're going to have different constituencies, whoever is more powerful. You're going to worry about their money and being elected. Here, you're, you guys aren't elected in the courts. You're there forever. You're not going to care. And one of the things, and it actually was particularly said by immigration, if you read some of the case law from the 1890s with the Chinese Exclusion Acts, when they retroactively kick, basically kicked out the Chinese, there were times where the judges said, look, this is a very harsh manifestation, manifestation of the law. You know, you'd have cases of a guy who was really good. And, you know, if cases, oh, the guy's been here for 30 years. You know, let, let me give you an example of what's lawful and what's not lawful. Let's say there's a guy who comes here illegally. But he somehow gets into the military and he kills five Taliban with his bare hands. He saves 50 soldiers, um, you know, gets injured in the process, sacrifices for America, then comes back and starts a biomedical company and comes up with a cure to cancer. And then ICE comes to deport the guy. And he got, files a habeas corpus petition in, in the federal court. If you're a judge, do you have the right to say, I'm sorry, we're not doing this? The answer is no. If I'm a judge, I can't do anything. Now, if I'm a member of Congress, I'll be there. Sure, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change. The, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make him lawful. I'm gonna, you know, travel back to Congress in the middle of the night if need be, and and change the law. You pass what's called a private law. It happens a lot with visas um, during the Olympics when certain you know uh, Olympic competitors get ensnared in visa problems. They'll pass what's called a. Most laws are public laws, but a private law, you know directed at a certain individual. You could do that. That's a process. What you can't do is, is an unelected official snap your fingers and just, just legislate. You can't do that. Even when the morality is clear. But certainly, certainly what we see here, what is very clear, and, and, and again, we're going to get more into the specifics of the memo in later shows, there's obviously, you know, it's not conclusive that everything about Mueller and Russia is is bogus. I mean, that's a separate step, but it 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 definitely taints all this because it's the same people doing it. It begs questions. You can't say, "Oh, nothing to see here." Nothing to see here. But the broader point here, just so we always understand, is that ultimately the people have to decide. Directly or indirectly, meaning indirectly is through the president, through Congress. 
the Madison wrote, when you, when you have, let's say, constitutional disputes, you know, what happens? It goes back and forth. But Madison wrote that, you know, what, who ultimately decides? Let's, let's say the branches of government, you know, fight with each other. In Federalist 49, he wrote that, quote, without an appeal to the people themselves, who is the grantors of the commission, can alone declare its true meaning and enforce its observance. Nobody has a monopoly on the Constitution. In Federalist 51, he wrote that, quote, a dependence on the people is no doubt the primary control on the government. You know, now who ultimately controls Congress? Let's say Congress exceeds their authority. So this, um, in a letter to Spencer Rain, this was in 1821. Um, I have it in my book, page 7, 772 of uh, Madison Writings. Um, out in front of me here, let me just scroll here to the right page. He wrote that nothing within the pale of the Constitution but sound argument and conciliatory expostulations address both to Congress and to their constituents. And this is similar, by the way, to what he wrote. Um, Madison wrote an article in, in a paper in 1791 where he said that, um, you know, ultimately it's, it's a circulation of newspapers through the entire body of the people was, represent, was representatives going from and returning among every part of them. You know, the fact that, you know, you'd get in their face, write letters, public pressure, and then ultimately eventually elections. That's what decides things. You cannot have unelected judges and bureaucracies outside, outside of the realm of the people. And that's why, this is why the courts are not independent in the way Congress is. They're not exactly co-equal. Certainly not more the way everyone else makes them that they're you know, supreme to the other branches, but they're actually a little bit less because Congress established the courts. Congress sets up their structure, how many people sit on it. Congress could regulate the duration of their term. And certainly exceptions and regulations to the subject matter jurisdiction of the Supreme Court and completely control the entire jurisdiction and geographical makeup of the lower courts or abolish them altogether. Can't abolish a Supreme Court. Um, but a Supreme Court is just a, someone called the Supreme, um, the Chief Justice of the United States, sitting at some sort of table in some sort of office called the Supreme Court, who has some sort of original jurisdiction over, you know, the three or four esoteric cases that the um, that Article Three, Section Section um, Two lays out. And that's it. Congress ultimately gets to decide. If the president doesn't like what any of his people are doing, he could fire them. Period. If Congress doesn't like what an agency is doing, they could abolish the agency. They could statutorily change its charter. They could defund it. And then certainly they could engage in oversight. Now, obviously, you do have an inspector general's that were set up by Congress, by statute, embedded in the executive branch to kind of have a self-policing mechanism. Oh, and by the way, by the way, um, just, just so you know, the, the Inspector General um, for, for the FBI, his report, when that comes out, that's going to be a big deal. That's the next thing to watch for. But, um, you know, this guy's name is Michael E. Horowitz. So just so you know, it ain't me. Some people are on Twitter like, man, 
at RM Conservative, you know, my personal Twitter handle, it really, you know, he's doing a good job as Inspector General. No, no, no. I wish I were the Inspector General of the FBI. That's not me. Um, but anyway, um, you know, that doesn't preclude Congress from having independent, conducting an independent investigation. You know, if you don't like it, look, go out and win Congress and you'll control the OGR committee or the Select Committee on Intel. You'll control it. But right now, Republicans won the election. This is it. There's no abuse of authority in what they're doing. How dare you investigate the FBI? They know what what they're talking about better than you do, Nunes. Well, even if that were true, but so what? I, I, I mean... This is the problem I have, the structural problem. And this is what I challenge any of you liberals in the audience to come back to me on. I'm not, I'm not trying to even exonerate Trump, although I would say after a year of not producing evidence is pretty insane. And the fact that these very same people are tainted and the fact that what we know Hillary did was already more severe than what Trump is accused of maybe doing in his campaign. Not to excuse it if he actually did break the law. But I'm saying at some point, this has got to be balanced. And the only way to find balance is by finally investigating everything. Congress needs to know everything about all of the people involved from the Hillary email scandal up until the drumbeat of the Russia stuff and Mueller. Look, politically, I'd say keep Mueller, not legally. He's, he's not entitled to stay there. It's not a constitutional p- position. He could be fired. That's executive branch. Politically, I don't think it's wise for Trump to do that. I think the best way to combat that is by having a new um, special counsel not not oversee Mueller directly, let him do his thing, but oversee the broader FBI corruption scandal and how they covered up Hillary's indictment and then everything that grew out from there. Anyway, we, we've gone long here. A lot more to talk about later. Um, hope this was useful. Hope this was a little bit refreshing, just a different, not different take, not, not, not to say anyone else is wrong. Bongino, Mark Levin have been doing an amazing job. They're very, um, very much ahead of the curve on this issue. I just want to give you a little different angle, different perspective on this whole issue that you're not going to hear elsewhere. We are losing our republic because we have people that don't believe in the rule of law. They're willing to to justify the means they use because of their progressive ends, and then they want to embed those people outside of the realm of the electoral process. And that is just a kill shot on the very essence of a constitutional republic. A lot more going on later. We're not going to get distracted just by this and miss the stuff on the budget and immigration, healthcare, you name it. CR is your one-stop shop. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.